In case you missed the news this morning, I have put together a list of headlines I got off the internet. The Associated Press tells us Israel orders more people in crowded southern Gaza to evacuate as heavy bombardment ships there. The BBC says Paris attack near Eiffel Tower leaves one dead and two injured. NPR tells us authorities identify suspect and killing of three homeless men in Los Angeles. And CNN says four killed as explosion hits Sunday mass service in Philippine University gym. NBC, George Santos' expulsion is just the latest act in a tumultuous year for the House of Representatives, as though we didn't know that. And again, the Associated Press tells us that Kissinger's unwavering support for brutal regimes still haunts Latin America. Poor guy, died at 100 years of age. Looks like they would let him rest in peace. And the remarkable thing about these headlines is that we could almost predict them. We are not surprised by any of them. Who can doubt that this old world of ours has grown weary, weary with war, weary with corruption, weary of egocentric self-promoters, weary of violence? If mountains and valleys and oceans could speak, I wonder what kind of stories of bloodshed they would tell us that they have observed through the years. The truth is, things happen almost on a daily basis that are contrary to everything the Lord tells us he would have happen. It seems that each day, News reports confirms the truth that long lay the world in sin and error pining. This line, of course, is from that well-known song. I didn't know what to call it, a hymn, song, Oh, Holy Night. It's more than a hymn, it's beauty. In 1843, the church in Rogue-Marie, France, experienced problems with this organ. We can identify, although it sounds like it's been revived. Their organ had to be renovated. When the work was finally completed, the parish priest persuaded a local boy who had gained national fame as a poet to write a poem for Christmas 
particularly in light of the newly renovated organ, and he did so. Later that year, Adolphe Adam added music to Placide Capot's poem and produced what we call O Holy Night. The world was made weary by more than the ranks and stops that didn't work on the organ. In some strange way, however, the song and its history are a source of encouragement to me because in 1843, the world was weary already. But weariness is not a recent phenomenon. In 1843, the world was weary, but the world has been weary for a long, long time. In fact, we see elements of weariness throughout history. When Luke wrote his words describing the birth of Christ, beginning with the birth, birth announcement of John the Baptist, the setting was one of weariness already. First, there was the Roman occupation under which the Jews lived. Their religious beliefs and practices made Rome's heavy-handed, insensitive approach to rule particularly galling to them. But the specific weariness Luke describes is not global in nature, it's personal. When Zechariah and Elizabeth married, their dreams for the future included a home with sons and daughters filling their lives with joy and challenges. But with the passing of time, each year brought only disappointment. When Connie and I were married in 1973, we too had those hopes. We were trying to get established somewhat and we planned ahead to starting a family in 1976. Those of you who were around at that point in history Remember that everything was bicentennial. America was celebrating its bicentennial. So we planned to welcome into our new family a bicentennial baby. But when 1976 arrived, there was no sign that a baby was on the way. By mid-year, doctors had confirmed that our chances of conceiving a child were less than one in a million. That night, we lay in each other's arms and wept, grieving over the loss of a child we would never have. By mid-year, 
as I say, doctors confirmed this, and we decided right away to begin adoption proceedings. And by September of that year, we had not only decided to adopt, but had made application and been accepted and had been promised a baby in one to three years. So much for our bicentennial baby. In those weeks that followed, the world seemed heavy to us. It was filled with disappointment and weariness. Discouragement descended upon us. And to the extent we, to the extent we could, we put a baby out of our minds. This was difficult because Connie's dad had sent us a case of pampers, <laughs> which we decided we had no other use for, so we put our Christmas tree, small though it was, on top of the pampers and hid the case with a cloth so we weren't reading pampers all day. But on December the 8th, 1976, we got a call saying that a baby girl had been born on December 4th, and she was ours if we wanted her. <laughs> uh, there's no question. And she came home to be with us the next day, December the 9th. I suppose I should say that as sometimes happens, a baby boy was born to us exactly 20 months after his sister's birth. All this is to say that I know that Zechariah and Elizabeth felt the weight of utter disappointment and weariness as their dream of a family became, as the months passed, more and more remote. They too must have held tightly to each other and wept out their disappointment. They had tried to do everything God wanted them to do. He was a priest, for goodness sake, and she was from the house of Aaron, the priestly line. She was a good girl. She radiated goodness. It was hard for them not to be disappointed in God. Had he not heard them when they sobbed out their pleas to him in prayer? Finally, a kind of weariness descended upon them as hope diminished and finally died. But weariness did not have the final word. Into the heaviness of their grief, into the darkness of their outlook, God sent his angel Gabriel to bring the good news. God had heard their prayers. He was giving them a child. 
the news was so good that Zechariah couldn't quite get his mind to accept the truth. How can I know this will happen? He asked. I'm an old man. And I suppose only those of you who are old men understand what he's talking about. And not only that, my wife is getting along in years. What a guy. I like Zechariah. You know, he could have said, yeah, my wife, she's old too. <laughs> but he didn't. My wife, she's getting along in years. Now, we cannot know whether Gabriel had been given instructions that if Zechariah questioned him, that he was to zap Zechariah with deafness and dumbness. We think he was deaf in addition to not being able to speak because when they asked about his name, they had to make signs to him to let them know what they were asking. But this deafness and this dumbness came to him, whether God had said, this is how it should happen, or whether Gabe was acting on his own authority. But in effect, Gabriel said, how will you know? Okay, how about this? You won't be able to hear or speak for nine months until the baby is born. That should give you plenty of time to think about what kind of proof you need. When the baby was born, Zachariah appeared to have all the proof he needed. His name will be John, he said. Fulfilled in the experience of Zachariah and Elizabeth, and also with Jim and Connie, is the truth that weariness cannot stand for long in the presence of hope. Again, referring to the words of Kapoor, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That morn is for us. That morn has come as a consequence of Christ's incarnation into the world. This world of ours may be weary, but God is not tired of sustaining us, supporting us, guiding us, and filling us to the extent we can allow him with excitement and energy for the service to which he calls us. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn.